you would please open in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew 28. If you stand, I'll be reading verses 18 through 20, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, familiar verses to us, and yet uh, my prayer is that they will again encourage and remind us of the need that we have to see that local churches would be planted as the gospel goes forth out into the community and into our world. So Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Please be seated. Now, ten years ago, we sent out a group to start a new church in West Knoxville. We picked that particular location because we had multiple families who lived in that area, and we desired to see another strong church planted to meet the needs of that specific community. Greg Pickle was the church planting pastor, and Brian Beamer was the lay elder that we sent along with him. All told, there were about 12 families with multiple children for a total of about 60 people. And over the years, that church has grown strong and healthy, adding more members and having had a powerful impact in their community. Just two weekends ago, I had the privilege of teaching about 50 men at their men's conference, and it was a joy to see the spiritually mature, vibrant individuals and families that were represented by that group. However, we are convinced that there is an ongoing need for there to be solid churches in the surrounding area, and as you know, we are pointing our thoughts and our hearts and our direction towards North Knoxville to plant a church there, and that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians eventually. Uh, But the goal this morning is really just to encourage our hearts around the nature of church planting. Even as we've just considered shepherds and sheep and the nature of the local church, well now, how do we take a church that is strong and healthy and then see it planted somewhere else or another church that really is healthy and strong like the original one? So that's our goal. Now, the metro population of Knoxville is about 784,000 people. It's up almost 17 or 18% from, from three years ago. It is growing quickly, and there's lots of work to be done. 784,000 people. We have one church plant up in West Knoxville. I think we could probably have another uh, and have lots of work for them to do. Now, we do have families that are coming from that area, and there are very few healthy churches that we can identify in that community. And it also, it is our goal and our plan that we would take some families from here, not only the ones living in that area, and transplant them, place them there so that we might have a gospel witness in that area. Now, it seemed good, particularly when the Lord sent Craig Johnson to us and his family, and really out of the blue, he was here out of a hard circumstance in his own life, and yet really coming to be a great blessing to us. And as a man who's planted a church before, he's had 20 years of pastoral experience, and as he came and we began talking, it just seemed good that we would begin planning and and preparing for a, a church plant in that area. So what we'll see this morning is that the command to make disciples of all the nations involves preaching the gospel for the purpose of seeing a solid local church established in every community. The command to make disciples of all the nations involves preaching the gospel for the purpose of seeing a solid local church established in every community. The Great Commission is about the establishment of local churches. So this morning we will take some time to explore the topic of church planting. And I have to make full disclosure here. A good friend of mine, Dusty Burris, Burris, planted a church from Countryside Bible Church in Dallas, Texas, and he did that about, they did that about three years ago. So Countryside Bible Church planted North Lake Bible Church, and when I was there a couple of months ago, he preached a sermon on church planting. It was really good. So that's the sermon you're getting. 
by his grace, with a few tweaks, uh, of course, uh, based on our own current situation here. But it seemed so good to really go over what it means to be a sender, what it means to be one who goes. And so I've taken that and kind of adapted it to our situation. So if you were there or have heard that online, you might hear a few familiar things. But that's good, because they're biblical things that we will walk our way through. So first, we want to talk about what it means to have a passion for church planning. Why do we want to do this? It's not just something we do, it's something we delight in doing, or, or we should, because really it is part of the Great Commission. Consider, again, those verses we just read. The Great Commission is about establishing local churches, not just individual believers. Look, look at your text. What does it say? Right? Jesus gives all authority. says, look, I, I am the owner, creator of the universe, so I send you out into this world with my authority to do what? To preach the gospel and plant churches. It is under the authority of Christ that we plant churches. Making disciples, as you look into our text, which is really the primary driving verb of that text, to make disciples is not an individual event. It's a community activity. It's something that has ongoing perpetuity to it. You establish, you preach the gospel, then you teach the truths of the word of God, as we will see, and that is something that is done by a church, not just by an individual. When it says baptizing and teaching, that also indicates church, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why do you baptize? Well, it's to make public profession of the reality of what has happened internally. You've heard the gospel, you believe the gospel, but it is also really the entrance, the visible entrance into the church, and particularly into a local church, in a particular city, wherever it is you're baptized. That's how they, it originally began. So that baptism is an indication of a corporate identity, not only an individual identity before God. These are corporate ordinances, as we will see. Baptism is for the church, not just for something you do in your basement or in somebody's bathtub. Right? It is a corporate identification because of the identification we have with Christ and being brought into his body. And then, of course, as you know, it says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So yes, we preach the gospel, the truth about Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, but we go on to preach and teach everything that Jesus commanded. Right? That happens, again, in a corporate setting. Right? That happens to a group of people, not just one-on-one -on -one teaching all that Jesus commanded, but teaching to a church that has been established on the basis of the gospel, people believing in it, and then an ongoing pattern of preaching and teaching the word of God, which is these 66 books, all that Jesus commanded. So in the discipling, in the baptizing, and in the teaching, we see a corporate mindset, the establishment of local churches. And then we see this pattern all throughout the book of Acts. So as the apostles go out and preach the gospel, churches are always established. They don't just have a couple of individuals and then move on. The goal is to establish churches. And in fact, as there is ongoing perpetuation of church planting, we see that missionaries are sent out from local churches. They don't just decide that they're going to be missionaries. Hey, I want to go put on some suits, grab 10 sermons, drive my car around, and preach at various places. No, they're sent out by established local churches, by the elders and leaders of those churches, and then they're sent out. So missionaries are sent from local churches. You see this in Acts 13 and then ongoing. And missionaries, again, are sent to establish the local church. Acts 14, 23, again, Paul comes back through and, and establishes the leaders for those groups of believers that have been established. In Titus chapter 1, he sends Titus to what? To finish the work of establishing the churches. What is that? Well, they'd already preached the gospel. There were already people who had believed and were gathering in the churches. Paul says, look, you've got to set in order what remains. We'll set some elders there so that those become actual churches. It is not enough for there to be a group of professing believers in a place. There's to be a church. Well, what are then the local churches? What's the pattern 
of a local church. So that's number two here. Local churches are to be built according to the biblical pattern. You can't just decide how it is that you want to build a church. One of the reasons that we came to Maryville, Tennessee, my wife and I, 19 years ago, was because as we came and were candidating at the church here, we were also looking around to see, all right, are there lots of churches already in this area that are biblically solid churches? And the answer was no. There are hundreds, thousands of churches in the Knoxville, Maryville area. And there are some good churches, but there are not a lot of them. And so we came because we wanted to establish churches that are built around a biblical pattern. And it's not just that we blow into town and go, well, you aren't doing churches the way we think you ought to do them, so you're not solid. No, the issue is the Bible says how to build a church. So as we looked around, we didn't see very much of that, so we thought, we'll come. And we begin to do that here, and hopefully we'll see that in an ongoing way down throughout the years, and we have. It has been a blessing. There have been more solid churches established in this area, not only the ones that we have planted, but also others that the Lord has raised up, and it's been a blessing. But what are those general characteristics? Well, I mean, the first characteristic of a church is professed believers in Christ who gather together in a particular geographical location. See, that's a church. That's not an internet church. It's not the universal church. We just all believe that there is a universal church, all believers, but there is to be an expression of those believers in local assemblies. When we gather together in the name of Jesus, we begin to establish a local church. So there's a gathering together of those who profess Christ to a particular geographical location. Then there is the preaching of the word. It's essential that a church, for a church to be a church that the word must be taught. Again, we see this in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe, Titus 1, 9, 2 Timothy 4, I mean, on and on. The preaching of the word is an essential part, a necessary part of a true church. And Now, it doesn't matter exactly how that's done, Right, we would say that the best way to do that is expository preaching. However, to just simply grab Bible verses to string them together for groups of stories or opinions that you have, that's not preaching the Bible. Right, so it has to be the Word of God explained in one form or another, right, not the pastor's opinion, not self-help talks that are given, a bunch of TED talks to help people have better families and to have you know, better marriage. The issue is the Bible properly explained. And again, a verse-by-verse exposition, we would say, is the very best way to accomplish that so that you get through all that the Lord has taught. So, professing believers gather together, the preaching of the word, the administration of the ordinances. It's not a church unless there's a corporate administration of the ordinances, baptism and communion. We'll practice communion this morning. It doesn't tell us exactly how often it is to be practiced but it is to be a regular pattern of the Christian life, and it is, again, an ordinance that is for the church together. We'll talk about that at the end. It is for the church gathered to practice communion and to practice baptism. It's not an individual work. So it's essential, if a church is to be a church, that it has baptism and communion. Then, as we have been studying, it is also essential that there be qualified biblical elders. This is not a minor thing. Over and over in the Scriptures, Acts 14, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, There's an establishment of a qualified group of men who are the pastor shepherds. They are the gifts that are given to the church. So to make a true church, you have qualified biblical elders. And then, at the very least, then after that, you have the practice of church discipline. Why? Because if you have on the front end a proclamation of the truth, believing membership, which is bound up in baptism, and there's no way for anyone gathered in the church to set someone who is not looking like a believer outside of the church, essentially of universal membership. Anybody can profess, they oh, I'm a believer, but if they don't live according to that, then they just stay in the church. It's not a true church. There has to be means by which those who are not repenting of sin 
are set outside the church so that there is a defined membership, believing membership. So we would say that the practice of church discipline is one of the fundamental building blocks of a true church and that those, those are the basics. However, just having those things doesn't automatically make a healthy church. There are things that needed to be added to it. Right, so those would be the basics that establish what a local church is according to biblical pattern. But as we've been talking the past four weeks, there certainly are many other things that a church needs to have or be practicing in order to be healthy. Things like continual prayer. Colossians 4, 2, Ephesians 6, we, we talked about that last week. Loving fellowship, the one and others. Hundreds of commands for the, for the members of the church to love each other well. The pursuit of holiness is not an option. It's not optional, all right? And then ongoing discipleship where there's a continual perpetuation of the teaching of the word of God, right, to other leaders who will carry on and then to other individuals who will learn and deepen their sacrificial giving necessary for a church to be strong and healthy. I mean, we don't talk much about giving here and probably should talk about it more because you, how tightly your money is tied to your life is, it's a huge issue, right? It's a huge hang up for Americans particularly, the way they use their money. So we should probably talk a little more about that. We don't much. So you can just read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, talk about sacrificial giving, the nature of giving joyfully, the, the importance of financial giving to the church, those things, but that's going to be necessary for a healthy church. And then, of course, ongoing evangelism is necessary, that there's a perpetuation of the gospel. And here, I mean not so much ministries of evangelism, although that's important and we have them, but I mean really a church evangelism. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul is speaking of the church corporately, he says, the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you, you all. Right? Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, that's their local area, but in every place your faith towards God has gone forth. Right? So that we have no need to say anything, essentially. Everyone had heard of their faith corporately. How? Because as people came into the city and left the city, and as members of the church were interacting with other people, they were speaking just naturally of who they were. You do not confine your evangelism to going to UT campus or walking out on, you know, going to do some street preaching. That's wonderful. We ought to do that. But our evangelism is everywhere. Every place you go, there is a testimony to the greatness of God. They knew that the Thessalonians were doing what? They were turning to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Everybody knew it. We're waiting for Jesus. There's wrath coming. We're turning away from the dead idols of this world to a living God. Everyone in your sphere of influence ought to know that. And if they don't, it's time. But that's what a church does corporately. This is a corporate church evangelism so that a church can be healthy. But then also, as we will see, there needs to be that evangelism results in a replication of the church, a multiplication. Well, we'll get there in a minute. But number three then, if these things are true, that the Great Commission is about local churches, then you ought to be passionate about your local church. This one, right? I'm, if you're a visitor this morning and you have another one, great. Be passionate about that one. But you ought to be passionate about your local church. It's not just we're thinking about constantly starting others. We have to delight in ours before we can actually start others. If you don't love this church, why are you going to love some other church you plant? If you just are in love with church planting and not in love with church living, then you're totally missing the point. You should have a passion for this church, that it would be strong and deep and healthy and whole, loving what is going on. Now, that means a couple of things. If you're going to be passionate about this church, you rejoice in what is good. So easy to focus on the negative, isn't it? Oh, it's not doing this, and we're not doing this, and sermon didn't live, he didn't make it today, he didn't barely showed up, he got a seven out of ten. You know, constantly critical in what we do. 
rather than constantly thinking about all the Lord is doing. Going back to those very basics. I mean, are, 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 is it a solid church? I remember I was in a rather unhealthy church situation for about, ultimately about 10 years as a youth pastor. And I moved there, went to seminary, was out in California, went to Grace West and big, you know, big, huge old church. And yet we sat there and sang hymns and John MacArthur preached and I just wept. Why? Because I was stunned by all the amazing ministries? No, I was just stunned by a church founded on biblical principles, the preaching of the word, the, those things that were going on. And I just wept. And, and I, ne- that, I never changed that. I didn't weep the whole time, thankfully. But I never changed my opinion that a church, big old huge church with lots of people, that I, it was the greatest place ever. It was like being in heaven. I loved it. Right? Now, rejoice in what is good, but also be realistic about what needs work. That wasn't a perfect church, and neither is this one. There are lots of problems, and people keep running up to me. Well, what about this in this church? And, you know, there's seminary students want to know better. They're partaking of all the blessings and benefits of a seminary linked to a local church, all the money that was being provided to subsidize their seminary, and they're whining and complaining about the church from the day I got there to the day I left. I was like, what is wrong with you? Right? You, you are partaking of all the benefits of the church. Now, you can notice the things that you don't like. You can say, well, I you know, wish this were different, and this would be great if this happened here. You don't blind your eyes to the things that need changing, but you don't complain in that way a constant whining about the greatest place I'd ever been. And I would say that that holds today. Now, be realistic. Every church has weaknesses. Don't ignore the things that need to be worked on, and don't make excuses. We don't really have problems. Well, of course we do. We're sinners. We have weaknesses. We're trying to work out the things that need to be done in any church so that we fulfill all of the strengths that a church should have. At any given time, we'll have weaknesses, and we don't pretend we don't have them. We don't think somehow, well, every other church has weaknesses, but we don't. That would be foolish. It would be fools to think that. But nonetheless, when we notice those weaknesses, we ought to pray and work on what needs improvement. Right? So, you know, you hear from somebody, this church is not very friendly. Like, well, I can fix that. And you invite them over. And then you're not grumpy. Right? You invite them over and you're happy. And you enjoy them. And they're like, well, maybe the church isn't so unfriendly. Right? The church only just talks about doctrine all the time. Well, that's not a weakness. But... Nonetheless, you could sit down and say, hey, you know, let's talk about all the things going on in your life that relate to this doctrine we're talking about. You can fix the problems. And so you do. You find out what they are. Instead of, oh, yeah, you're right. So we've got a whole group of people. Wow, let's whine about this and let's complain about this. How about fix the problem? Right? Which can be done by the saints almost always. Sometimes there are other systemic things that need to be worked on. And so then there's a work that would go to talk to leadership and other things. But guys, you pray and you work on what needs improvement. So you be content even while you stay active. I mean, that's the conundrum of the Christian life, isn't it? We're supposed to be totally content at any given moment, yet always wanting more. Figure that out. Well, God gives us grace to be content. He also gives us strength to desire more without losing our contentment in where we are. He's going to have to love this church. It's got to be a passion for you. Why do I say that? Because this is the church you're at. And I'm not saying love this church in exclusion to caring for other churches, but you don't go to those other churches. You can love them in what God does for them. But this is the church you're passionate about. Most people stay in their local church. They come, they stay, they delight in it, and they grow and they deepen in their love for the other people and for the church as a whole. But then number four, we ought to be passionate about other local churches. You can't just be passionate about this one because for us to be healthy, we have to be thinking about others. 
and other churches. All the way around the world we have to be thinking. This is not just our own church or even our own community. It extends out into our country and out into the world. We constantly have a mindset of others. Again, that's not an exclusion to loving this church. It is added to that. It really is fueled by that. The more you love this church, the more you ought to want other churches that look like this one. And you ought to want them placed everywhere where people don't have them. Like, wow, this church is great. Somebody else needs one that's like this. How do we get that done? Sometimes it's sending a missionary. Sometimes it's what we are seeking to do, which is take a group of us and go somewhere right, that's close enough to us. Right, so we want to support local churches in our area. This is not the only solid church in the Maryville knoxville area. And Crossway Bible Church isn't the only other one, the one we planted. And by the Lord's grace, the Lord has raised up churches that are built around those structures that I talked about and they're seeking to be solid and healthy. We should pray for them, encourage them, rejoice in them. But then also we need to plant them, right? As we will see or as we have seen in our area, although the Lord has seen fit to have more solid churches in our area, there is a huge need for more. As we said, lots of churches, but not lots of good churches, not lots of biblically established and and based churches. And so we ought to have a heart to see other churches springing up. That ought to be our delight. And so we think and we pray and we consider how it is that we can be part of that. Sometimes the church isn't able to actually take pieces of its body and put them somewhere else. Sometimes it has to pray that someone would go and do that. But either way, or in every way, We are praying that the strength of this church would be replicated all around the world and that we want to be part of that in whatever way possible. So now that you're champing at the bit, that's right, I love this church, I want to love other churches, well, have I got a job for you? So what are the roles of church planting? You're just, I mean, you're asking, what do we do? Of course. So here's what you do. First, the roles of those who send. And remember here, I'm speaking largely in terms of sending people out. There's lots of things we do. We've been talking about that for four weeks. Right, but here, really, largely in light of those who are going, what do we emphasize as those who are staying? So if you are staying here, what are you going to do to help send others out? You are going to pray. Now stop for a minute. So you wrote that word down, and then you checked it off in your mind. Well, of course he's going to say that. Of course that's what we do. That's what Christians do. This is not a Christian cliche. This is a biblical command. And unless we do this, the church that we try to send will not be strong. It will easily come under the attack of Satan. It will easily be weak because we did not pray. Every bit of strength that comes to a church, that comes to an individual spiritually, begins with prayer. To the extent that we pray, we are strong. To the extent that we do not, we are weak. So we must pray. I mean, you know the verses. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the spirit with this in view, be on the alert with all prayer and petition. I mean, just it's an overload of alls as to how we're to pray. Well, what what do we pray? Well, Paul also gave us some fantastic model prayers, right? We pray for physical things, certainly, but we pray what? That they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Colossians 1.9. They would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Those are the kind of things we pray. But are we? Are we going to expect as we stay that those that we send will be strong if we do not do the work of praying for them, not only as we send them, but after we send them? 
Are you just going to forget? Oh, they're out there. Hope it goes well. We need to pray continually. We need more time for prayer. There's this continual prayer that we do, 1 Thessalonians 5. Right? We're always in the mindset of praying, constantly bringing things before our minds, but also there's the extended times where we sit down in our, in our studies or in, on your porch or wherever you might be, and you ask the Lord for specific things, and we're going to continue to ask specifically for Gospel Hope Church Plan. So we're going to pray. If you're staying, right, which means, again, you're going to have to ramp up your prayer. You're going to have to add a whole other aspect of what you are praying for into your prayer time, which means... You can't eliminate anything. I wouldn't imagine you'd be like, oh, I'll get rid of praying for this to add this. What does it mean? You're going to have to add time and fervency and love for that church. But next, we're going to have to serve. Now, we're going to have to serve those who are going right, by caring for them, by trying to make provision for them. That's what we're seeking to do as a church, to make provision for the things that will be needed as they go. And for those who are going, to try to help them in every way we can to serve them as they prepare to go. But also, we need to be careful that we are actively serving here as a means of sending them there. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are to give of our gifts. But planting a new local church is costly, which means we need to send gifted people. So if we send them out and there's a vacuum in the giftedness here, then we will be weaker than we need to be. We did discover that when we sent out our church plan into Knoxville. We sent some strong, deep Bible teachers and disciplers, and it took us a little while to recover. Right? We didn't plan, I don't think, quite well enough for that. And so we were kind of you know, treading water a little bit, trying to figure out how do we fill some of these spots that we hadn't thought about. Well, our goal is to try to think about that and to put you into place for those who are leaving so that we can continue to be strong because we are sending out those who are strong. It is essential that the sending church remain healthy. It does very little good if you send out a strong church plant and then in three years they got to plant a church back here because we weren't solid enough. That doesn't accomplish anything. So we need to be strong and solid ourselves. So are you serving? So in order to send well, you have to serve well so that this church remains healthy and there's a pool of people to choose from to send out because you are so actively involved in service. So you need to use your gifts and you need to use your gifts towards those and with those who are leaving and you need to use them with those who are staying. You don't just stay to enjoy the benefits of the mother church, as it were. Oh, love the benefits here. You ought to. You ought to. The benefits here, spiritually, ought to be a delight to you. But you don't just stay to receive those. You stay to serve. You stay to give. You stay to pour out your life. That's what it's always been about. It's never been that you just come and partake of what is here. You come and participate in what is here. You are the ones who do the work. We've been talking about that. And you are staying to enable the mother church, this church, to be even stronger and more effective. We're not sending another church out so we'll be weaker. Uh, great plan, right? The more churches we plant, the weaker we get. No, the more churches we plant, the stronger we ought to be. So we want to be sure that we remain strong and deep in our relationships, in our ministry, in our holiness. So you're going to have to serve. And it means you probably will need to step up in some area or another, each of us thinking through how is it that we can pour out our lives in this way. You're also going to have to give. If you're staying... It's like, well, they're going to gospel hope, so they give. No, you are giving, right? Well, first, relationally. I love, again, what Dusty Burris says. Remember, he's the guy I stole the sermon from. He said, love caused me to leave. I loved countryside. That's the place he was. I loved it so much that I felt that there had to be other places like this place, so I went 
to start one. Because that's, that's, we, we, we need to give of ourselves relationally so that our love for one another and the love experienced in this church with one another as we speak the truth in love is so strong that it would actually cause people to say, hey, I want to go and do that. Not I want to I go because I wasn't loved. I'm going to go try to find a place or start a place where there is love. No, I'm going because I was loved. Philippians 1.7. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment, says Paul, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And we need to remember that we will see each other again in heaven. We send people out knowing that we will see them again. We let go of our temporal love, really an an eternal love, but that is expressed to them individually on this earth. We send them out, but we know that we will see them again. And so we can live for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years without them because we will then have them back for all of eternity. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you, says Paul of the Thessalonians, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, you are our glory and joy. He might never get to see the Thessalonians again on this earth, but he knew that he would see them again in heaven. And so there's a brief time where we're parted and then we come back together rejoicing in what the Lord has done. So we're going to give relationally, but also give financially, regularly, sacrificially, as the Lord prospers with joy. All those are in Second Corinthians 8 and 9, where we learn how to give wisely and well. Well, you're going to need to continue to give here because we're sending people out and we want to have enough financial strength to help support and encourage them. But also as the things that they have been giving to this church now go to another church, we're going to have to also fill that in as well that we might continue to press on. So you need to think carefully about financial giving in light of sending a church. Everything costs money. It just does. That's, that's the world we live in. Well, I don't want it to cost money. That's so crass and material. Really. People need to have clothes. How do we get them? I need to, need to have somewhere to meet there. People have to drive their cars to get there. They have to have homes to live in. Everybody and everything needs financial undergirding. Lord knows this. Talks a lot about money. You know this to be true. So we want to learn how to give wisely and well. And we'll talk actually about some of the specifics of that here at the very end. So if we're staying, we, we give, we serve, we pray, and we encourage we encourage. We encourage those who are going and the importance of what they are doing by going. We don't suddenly make them feel bad about going. We encourage them in doing it. We encourage them in the joy of the new work they'll be starting. They've got some trepidations about this. I've got to go out from here and there's people that I know and I'm not sure how it will go. And you encourage them in the joy of what will happen as they go. And then you encourage those who are staying Right? Others of those who, you who are not going, you encourage them to be busy about the work. We're planning a church. You're not going? Okay. How are we working together? What are we doing? How are we serving and deepening and growing? So encourage each other in that way as well. And then lastly, for those who are sending, we need to be sensitive to those who are going. We need to be sensitive aware of things going through their minds, things going through our minds, because our unity can be hurt if we're not sensitive to each other. No one is perfect. People wrestle with bad attitudes, yes, even in sending out church plants and those who go to church plant. We may, we may struggle to express ourselves well, but love believes all things and assumes the best of motives in everyone. So here's some thoughts about how to be sensitive. Don't make people feel guilty for leaving. Why are you leaving? Uh, you know, we, just got, we, just, we just got to know each other. Right? Their excitement about the church plant doesn't mean that they're excited to leave the church. 
Right? Wow, you're so excited about that. Does it mean you don't like this church anymore? Why would you assume that? Right? Their love for the new elders doesn't mean they don't love the elders here. Don't assume that. Why would that, why would that be the case? Their love for Craig's preaching doesn't mean they don't love the preaching here. You say you, say you don't like the preaching here? Why would you assume that? I love the preaching there. Their love for the new body doesn't mean they don't love this one. They're talking to others about joining the church plant doesn't mean that they are trying to steal sheep. Well, why are you talking to everybody? Why are you asking them if they want to join the church plant? Well, that's because it's a really neat, cool thing, and I'd love it if they went with me, right? So be careful of thinking these things. Also, they're doing something differently. That is the church plant doing something differently than grace does, and that's why I laid out the foundations of a biblical church. It has to have these things, and then the things that make it healthy, well, the church plant will be doing that, but they're not going to do everything just the way we do it. It's a different church in a different place with different leadership. So if they're doing something differently, it doesn't mean they're critical of what's happening here. Why are you doing that? Do you not like, do you not like what's going on here? Do you think it's unbiblical? No, it's different because this is how we're expressing the nature of those healthy things in North Knoxville. All right, so that's the role of those who stay, or the senders. Now, what is the role of those who go? If you are going, right, or about to go after this message, then evaluate your motives. Why am I going to join the church plant? Do I have a genuine desire to be part of a new work? Not because I'm discontent with this one, the old church. There's nothing wrong with being excited about getting new opportunities at a church plant. However, if you are disgruntled or discontent with what you're doing here, you will carry to the church plant the same weaknesses that produced those bad attitudes, and you can't go. If you're not satisfied and joyful and content here, we don't want you to go. You're going to harm that church. So you're going to need to stick around a little longer and get content here. Maybe you're going to need another year so you can't join the church plan as it starts. I mean, we're, we're shooting for January. We'll see what the Lord does. Right? That's our hope. But you're going to need another year. You're not, you're not content here. You're not happy here. You've got, you got all kinds of grumblings going on here. Well, when you're happy and joyful here, then we might say, hey, why don't you go over there? But not until then. Not until then. You will just take yourself wherever you go. And you need to be joyful. Guys, if you can't be joyful at this one, at this church, I don't think you've got a good chance of being joyful at another one. So evaluate your motives. Pursue godliness. Commit yourself to personal sanctification. Going to a church plant will not jumpstart your spiritual growth. It will sap it if you aren't very careful. Because there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot more things that have to be put in place. There's a lot less of some of the things that can help you be spiritually strong. And so you need to already be spiritually strong. And so you might need to stay for a little while. If you, don't, if you haven't been strengthened. Now, again, that's at each person's level of maturity. If you're a brand new believer, you need to be a strong new believer. If you've been a believer for a while, you need to be a mature, older believer. But if you're not strong and mature, then you're not ready to go because you, your strength and your maturity will be needed. So commit yourself to growing now if you are going to go to this church plant. And again, maybe you are ready to go right now, but maybe you need some time so that you're going to have to pursue this personal sanctification and pursue discipleship that you yourself are being discipled by someone, that you are pouring your life out into someone, I mean, that is absolutely essential. Sometimes you can get away with it at a, at a larger church. You're not discipling someone and nobody notices. Right? Well, if you're at a church of 50 or 60, somebody's going to notice that you are refusing to give of your life and pouring your life out for someone else. Now, you shouldn't be doing that here. You shouldn't be hiding in the shadows and not pouring your life out here. Well, it's a bigger church, so I can just kind of hang out. People do that. They go to bigger churches and they're like, well, I don't have to disciple here. I can just go participate in the smorgasbord of the things that are there and I don't have to give. Yes, you do. Because you're not healthy if you don't. 
So discipleship is essential. You discipling others, them discipling you. And so if, if you are doing that, then you could go to a church plant because then you will have already set the pattern of giving your life away because that's what discipleship is. Right? So you're pursuing godliness. You also are going to stay. That would be C. You're not dipping your toe into the church plant. Well, we'll see how it goes. If I really like it, then I'll stay. No, you are going to stay. Right? So right? no exit strategy. This, you know, if these things happen, this wild thing's happening, I'm coming I'm come running back to the mother church. No running back to mama at this point, all right? It is the issue of you stay and work out the difficulties that you might face. There's something unbiblical going on. We're going to know that anyway, and we'll already be working on it. But the bottom line is you go and you lay the foundation of another church, and that takes commitment because nothing, well, not everything will turn out like you expect. All right, so it can't go well. As long as I'm comfortable, I'll stay. Well, you're going to have to stay even when things get uncomfortable. Practice hospitality. Because if you're not being hospitable to one another without complaint here, again, same way as with discipleship, pouring out your life, be it your home, or we talked about this last week, just the, what surrounds you as a desire to be with people, you make a really bad church planner. Don't come to my house and don't be around me very much. Oh, that, I mean, that'll jumpstart a church big time. No, it'll devastate it. Right? Using your home is going to be more necessary because you're most likely not going to have permanent facilities yet. So as the church plant goes, probably we'll start with a you know, uh, building you have on Sundays. Well, then where are you going to be on Wednesdays? Your house. Where are you going to be for small groups? Your house. Well, my house is small. Uh, I, I've been in 10 by 10 houses that get you know, in, in India, in Nigeria. You get a lot of people in a 10 by 10 house, 20 by 20. You know, you get 30 people. I get lots of people in there. So there's plenty of room. We all kind of stand around like this. You know, they hand you warm Coke, you drink it. Because it's the people of God that love each other. So stop with this thing of, well, if my house is big enough and I got lots of room and I got chairs for everybody, they can sit on the floor. Well, in America, we don't sit on the floor. Well, we ought to. I mean, it's your house. Open it up. You've got a space for people to be where it's not raining and maybe you got some AC. Maybe you don't, but in, in still have people there. And then remember, it's not just your house. It's you. You are to be hospitable. If you're grumpy and withdrawn, I'm just shy. No, you're sinful. That's just the way it works. I don't, I don't be with people well. Then you don't love people well. All right, guys, there's no excuse. Right? I'm overbearing and I just tromp over people. There's no excuse for that either. That's just sinful. So you see what I mean? You're going to need to practice hospitality if you're going. And you're going to have to already have a habit of it here. It's not going to magically appear when you go somewhere else. Well, if there weren't so many people, guys, I just... I just have to say, one, I've already told you that most of the churches in the New Testament, ultimately city by city, were a ton bigger than this one. One would say, the church is just too big. I can't get to know people. That's a you problem. That is not the problem of the church. The more people there are, the more people you ought to get to know. I, I, I just never made any sense to me at all. There's so many people here, I can't get to know people. Just say that five times in your head. It doesn't make any sense. Find somebody to know. There's more people to get to know. So, if you're not doing it here, you're not going to do it there. Well, there's fewer people. There's few, it's just fewer people to ignore. So, don't do that. Serve selflessly. Right? You're not, well, now I get to go do what I want. Well, no, the leadership there is going to direct you. And maybe you're going with a particular purpose in mind. And that's fine. You'll talk to the leadership. You'll work it through. But maybe you don't get to do that. Maybe they decide, no, oh, actually, you're not so good at that. We're going to do something else. Well, are you going to just serve selflessly anyway? When they readjust or rework where you need to be? You might have already had that happen here, and hopefully you worked your way through it. Well, 
You know, maybe they'll they say, well, I did that at Grace. And they'll say, I probably shouldn't have been doing that at Grace. <laughs> so you don't get to do that here. So you can't come back and do it because they're going to say, well, they shouldn't have been doing that. All right, so serve selflessly. Embrace flexibility. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Guys, you're going to have to just be ready for things to be different, for things to change, for things to not go according to plan. Right? That will happen in a church plant. Be flexible. Commit to evangelism. Prepare yourself to be comfortable sharing the gospel. There's that much more opportunity. It's always necessary to be doing, but consider you're trying to draw people to the church. You're constantly talking about the things of Christ. Grab our Biblical Salvation Explain track and just hand it out. Just, you know, you're in the store. Give, give it to somebody. Plan your five-minute rule. If you're going to be with someone for five minutes, try to get the gospel out there. And again, you shouldn't be doing that to go to the church plant. That ought to already be true. But you need to commit to having that as your mindset. Cling to the essentials. Cling to the essentials. You can't expect to recreate everything the same as the sending church. It's not going to happen. The resources aren't there. The people aren't there. So don't expect that it will just look like when you, you, what it was like here. It couldn't possibly do that. So you are clinging to the essentials. That's why I gave them to you. What's a biblical church look like? What makes it healthy? That's what you're clinging to. Everything else is negotiable. One of this ministry, one of that ministry, one of... That's negotiable. Remember we talked about ministries are negotiable? Holiness, love, truth, those are not negotiable. Hospitality, prayer. Cling to the essentials. Right? Don't, don't constantly be, well, we didn't, we didn't do that at grace. You know, so why, why are we doing that here? Well, that's because this is not grace. It's a different church. Express gratitude. Don't expect that the sending church will be able to provide everything, although we'll provide as much as we can. Right? The needs are going to outweigh the budget for quite some time, most likely. So you just plow through, right? Expressing gratitude for what the Lord has given and gratitude for the sending church. Don't be focused on things you don't have. You tell your kids this. Don't focus on what you don't have. Delight in what you have. And it takes a while to get more. Every child wants everything their parents have. It's like, ah, no, this took like 20 years, 30 years. Maybe it's the result of even a legacy of more. So you're going to have to wait. And then be sensitive to those who are staying, just as those who are staying are sensitive to those who are going, those who are going are sensitive to those who are staying. How? Well, someone staying doesn't mean they don't want to sacrifice. Those people are just lazy. Uh, that's going to do you a lot of good, right, to be telling people that as you walk out the door or thinking it. Well, they're staying. Uh, I would say this. They're staying doesn't mean that they don't like the new elders. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe they don't like the leadership. That's why they're not. Why would you think that? They're staying doesn't mean that they are only interested in ministries that benefit them. It's not what it means. They're delighted in the church they have, so don't think it does. They're encouraging you to carefully consider your decision to go doesn't mean that they subtly think you shouldn't go. No, it means that they're asking you to carefully consider your decision to go because you ought to carefully consider it, and they're going to ask you to do that. Have you thought about that? Have you carefully considered it? doesn't subtly mean they're telling you you shouldn't be going. It doesn't mean that. Their love of the ministry here doesn't mean that they don't love the ministry that will be going on there. They're expressing sadness at seeing people go doesn't subtly mean that they think people shouldn't go. Right? Why, would you, why would you assume that? Of course they're going to be sad that people go. And they're asking questions about what the church plan is doing differently doesn't mean that they are judging those things. They're asking what's it doing differently. That doesn't mean that they're judging the things that are going on. So you're going to have to be sensitive to those who are staying. Engage your brain before putting your mouth in gear when you talk about the church plan. And you might have to be working through some bad attitudes. Right? You might have them. Well, change them. 
All right, and fight for unity. That's the last piece. We're going to have to fight together for the unity that the Lord would have. Philippians 2.1, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, lastly, before we finish up, let's talk about a few specifics of our church plan. Because some are going, I've never heard of this before. What are you actually doing for this thing? So let me just give you a couple. One, the leadership of this church plan. Well, Craig Johnson is going to be the teaching pastor. Right? We're currently paying him a monthly salary that's commensurate to what our other staff is paid. And the goal is that he would be able to, to work full-time at this, particularly as there's a group of people that are coalescing as the core group. We have elders in training, Jim Johnson, Tyler Vanderhoeven. Right? The plan is for Jim and Tyler to officially come on as elders when the church launches. That's the plan. Right? As, they, as they plan and prepare, because we want to send out a plurality of elders. In fact, that's essential. Now we're trying to build then a core group. Right now there's about 28 committed members. With kids, it's about 35. Right? There's 15 or so that are still considering joining the group. Right? Hopefully that will grow even if, after today. We would love to see at least 50, including kids, for that core group. I mean, there's no magic in that number, but that would be wonderful to send out a solid core group surrounding that group of elders. What's the plan? Well, prayerfully, the core group, those who have said, look, we're, we're in, we're, we're committed, we're doing this. Hopefully, they'll begin meeting sometime in the summer. They'll start going through the Constitution, doctrinal statement, building unity, building fellowship. You know, the, the elders in training and Craig working together to kind of direct and oversee those things. Once the core group has officially started, right, their giving will be collected in a fund for the start of the church plant. So everything that those in that core group were giving to Grace, that will, there'll be a designation. It'll be on the, on the website if you want to do it that way, where you can designate to giving to Gospel Hope. That is... Again, those who are part of that core group, and all of that money will then be collected into a fund that will be given to the church plant when it starts. So that money won't be, won't be given to them immediately. Right? It'll be put in, in a, a, essentially a trust fund until they go, with Grace continuing to meet the needs of the, of the, say the other things that need to happen for the church plant to get started. Then when it starts, all of that money will go directly to Gospel Hope. Uh, and then if those are, there are those outside the church that want to give to Gospel Hope, as we open up that fund in, in the next week or so, they'll be able to do that as well. We have a planning date for January 2024, but we'll see what the Lord does. That's our goal. If everything comes together, we got the elders and got the core group and the finances. By the way, the reason we do that with the finances is a couple reasons. One, it builds a, hopefully a, a fairly good-sized nest egg that then can be given to the church as it starts, but also it helps us know who won't be giving to the church. That is, we know the amount of money that won't be coming in for our offering, and you will know, or the church plant will know, the amount of money that will be coming in for their offering, right? Now, again, the elders don't ever know who exactly is giving, just simply the amount, right? This is what we won't have, and this is what they will have. It's very helpful so that they can prepare in those ways. And then what are some of the other ongoing preparations that we're doing? Well, twice a month, Gospel Hope is a prayer meeting on Friday evenings. You ought to go, right? Second and fourth, Fridays, Right? If, even if you're not planning to go to the church plant, well, they'll try to recruit me. Sure. So, so you know, maybe that'll be great. But you'll go and you'll pray and you'll show support and encouragement to them as they are getting ready to go. Craig is teaching a Sunday school class third hour on First and Second Peter. Craig is an excellent, careful, passionate expositor. You already know that because you've heard him preach from the pulpit. But you should go and hear some more, right, for the third hour Sunday school class. I would encourage you to do that particularly if you are planning to or even thinking about going at the church plant because that will strengthen and encourage your hearts as you prepare to go. So, those are 
Those are the jobs. Those who stay, those who go, right? All of us have a job to do so that the church plant will be that which pleases and honors the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the joy of planting a church. Lord, we pray that everything would come together. Lord, that the elders in training would work all the way through and be ordained as elders. That the core group would coalesce and there would be sufficient people and finances that the church might be able to go. That you provide for them a place, a building, or perhaps even a permanent one to start. Lord, we would ask that you give us grace to then have wisdom to step forward in these things and that those who are preparing to go would be strengthened and built up and those who are staying would accomplish the work you've given us that both this church and the church to be planted would be strong and deep. So Lord, we thank you for your power, your word, and this precious opportunity. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.